Last week was good. Uh, did you get to catch up with last week? And that's why you came this week. <laughs> I, I, I imagine after next week, we'll probably have to go to two services now, isn't it? Instead of putting people on a waiting list. So we, we thank God. We have that is Some of you know him from Lesotho. He's now a South African citizen. Yeah, so... Yeah, well, he was. He, he, he was born a South African who chose not to activate his citizenship. I guess COVID, it's not COVID. He's been trying to work on his documents for long. Amen. My heart is happy. I don't know about your heart. And at the same time, my heart is shivering. It's shivering because... Two days ago, I was just thinking about today, and last week, no, 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 it was during prayer, we were praying about us as a local church and the church as the body of Christ. And as we were praying, God put this statement in my heart that consider the fearsome church versus the fearful church and decide which church you guys want you to be. And we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. Uh, but I, I, I just want you to pray along those lines that the Bible teaches that after Anania and, 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 and Sapphira died, there was great fear in the city. There was great fear. And it says the people esteemed the church, but no one dared to join them. The, the church was a fearsome church. It was loving, but it moved in such authority that people were tentative to hypocritically join them. People were, uh, were aware that you are, if you are a fake, you can't just join. Those people are too authentic for you to just camouflage yourself amongst them. And it is a pity that such a church, in the context of the time that we live in, is actually compared to a fearful church that we have become. And the indictment upon us, as I said last week, is that history records what every generation does and hands over to the next generation. And we had been handed a legacy of faith all around. You read all kinds of books and you hear, I mean, just few years, we were, you and I lived with people who were God's generals in their own right, isn't it? Both Africans and Western. We know people who preach Jesus in the most devastating conditions and they came out still saying Jesus is Lord. Among sickness and disease and everything. So I want to believe that when I as a person, COVID-19 has taught you that 
You can't afford to be babysitted. That's number one. Number two, COVID-19 has taught you that no one has promised you never to leave you nor forsake you except God. Everyone can leave you. We've told you many times, no human being, no pastor will ever be there for you all the time. Because they are hardly there all the time for themselves. That's why people commit suicide because they can't handle for themselves what they themselves are going through. And you think they'll take you through what you're going through. I hope COVID has taught you that whoever does not abide in God's word will be found a sitting duck when the enemy attacks. I hope you come back with a better view that we cannot attend church. We cannot do church. We cannot play church. We have to be a forward-footed, a strong, with a very clear mandate, vigorous church. Nobody's going to hold your hand going forward. At least now you knew that. At least now you know that there's nothing more urgent in your life that you come to talk to Jesus about. And that anything urgent in your life is not urgent, not to me, not to the next person. Because if you call someone at three o'clock under level zero, you are expecting, come here now, come here now, I'm going to die. COVID told you, it taught you, you're not going to die, and that person is not going to come. Better you run to Jesus. I hope you did get the lesson clearer. If you, don't, if you didn't, let me just get, get to the point. It's going to get worse for you. Whoever didn't learn the, the lesson that God is supreme and is the only source of all solutions we need tough for you. This world is not getting any better from now on. It's going to produce collateral damage and victors. There will be those who say, God leads me triumphantly. And there will be those who say, God, where are you? So, I want to keep on the same theme. Last week we learned that God has engineered us for the last days. And God is a faithful engineer. God has taken into account everything we need to be able to do what we need to do. So let's continue in the book of Jeremiah. I think we gave the background last week. This week I'm just going to say whatever the Lord puts in my heart. I tried last night to meditate and meditate, but I didn't get anything. So whatever he says now, that's what I'll just say. Are you there? Let's start from verse 5 where we are reading. It says, before I formed you I, I, in, in your mother's belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you. I separated you because I already had a plan for you. I had designed you different from the next person you know. So I separated you as for the purposes and in accordance to the engineering I had for you. He says, I sanctified and I ordained you a prophet unto the nations. Then I said, ah, Lord, 
Behold, I cannot speak, for I am only a child. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I send thee to, and you shall say whatsoever I command you to say. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, saith the Lord. Are you still there? That's it. And it says, verse 17, I'm reading it in the King James Version on this one. It says, Thou therefore get up thy loins and arise and speak unto them all that I command thee. Be not dismayed at their faces, lest I confound thee before them. For behold, I have made thee this day a defensed city. I have made you a fortified city and an iron pillar and a brazen walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. And they shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail against thee. Did you hear that? They shall what? They shall fight against thee. But they shall not prevail because I have engineered you in a manner that when you go through fire, that fire will not burn you. Are you still there? Hold the thought. Let's go to First John chapter 5. In First John... I'm reading from verse 3, it says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. Another version says, And this is love for God, that we obey his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Are you there, Bazalan? So, let's just hear what comes out. The Bible teaches us that God has ordained each and every one of us with a very clear mandate, a mandate that is not copied from any other person. And such we say, because you are engineered differently from the person sitting next to you, do not let the fears of the person sitting next to you influence your decision to move forward in what God has called you to do. That's what we said last week, right? So now, what I want us to, to get into today is the idea of the fear of God's will. You know, we talk about the fear of God, I get in our discussions with the young adults, that we're exploring the topic of the fear of God. But one of the things that we were exploring is that there is what we call the fear of the will of God. What does that mean? It means you desire the will of God. You want to do what God has called you to do, has engineered you to be and to do. But you are aware that God's will will not work in conformity to your will. So what does God say to Jeremiah? He says, Jeremiah, what do you see? He says, I see an almond tree. And God says, you have seen well because I watch over my word. I watch over my will. God 
tells us that I work everything in conformity to my will and pleasure. I do not show favoritism to your desires. I either put desires in your heart, and if you delight in what I have put in you, then I will fulfill your desires. But if you come with your desires to me, I will not bless them because I do not watch over yours. I watch over mine. Are you following? So now you are at the place where you say, I want to do God's will. But for you to really understand what it means to do God's will, let's unpack this idea in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. The Bible says, For we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. Again. If you follow the sentence, it says, Itself, it says, for the good of those, not for the good of all, but of those who love him. Who are those who love him? This is love for God to obey his commandments. So, the commandments of God are tied to the two attitudes that we have towards God the fear of God and the love of God. The fear of God is an attribute in us that makes us to shun evil. So when we fear God, the Bible says to fear God is to shun evil. The fear of God, referential fear of God, helps us not to want to sin. But the love of God makes us want to obey him because when we love him, we want to obey him. Happiness. Now, it says, we know that God works everything together for the good of those who love him. In other words, those who are disposed, those who are inclined, those who aspire to please God by doing his will. There? Now comes the tricky part. Here's the tricky part. Those who are called according to his purpose. Now, I want you to realize that all of us are called according to his purpose. Eh? So, God's purpose is not for our comfort and pleasure. It's for his glory. Are you there? Now, because God's purpose is for his glory, what does it mean when it says God works everything together for our good? So here's what you and I think. You and I, we're like, Pastor Ron, I'm so blessed. I want you to know that everything works together for our good. Great. Does it say for your comfort? Does it say for your pleasure? Does it say in accordance to your desire? Ah, I see, it doesn't say that. But let's explore what could it mean. Let's just look at the Bible. Everything works together for our good in its eventuality to bring God's glory. Ne? Let's explore a few people. 
Everything worked together for the good of Job. Do you agree? Was it exciting? Was it comfortable? Everything worked together for the good of Stephen. What happened to him? He died. Everything happened for the good of Paul. What does he write? I was shipwrecked. I was beaten. I was everything worked. The same guy who says it works for our good. Read the whole Bible and tell me one person who had everything working together for their pleasure because it works for their good. Show me one of them that it worked for their comfort because it works for their good. Abraham, it worked for his good. Go and look at what the man went through. Isaac, Jacob, you name them. Elijah, Moses. Jesus, it worked for his good. The Bible says, who for the sake of the joy set before him. There was a joy that was set for, before Jesus. There was great salvation coming because of him. There was joy, but the joy was beyond the grave. And yet it worked for his good. When it was working for his good in the garden of Gethsemane, he had to say, if it were possible, Jesus is working for your good. Why would you rather, if it were possible, it, it, this cup does not come to you. It's working for your good. I am still to meet a God-loving, obedient child. Or son or daughter of God, to whom all things work for their comfort and pleasure. It works for our good. Why does it work for our good? Count it all joy. When you face all trials and tribulations. Why? For the testing of your faith will prove your faith. And then when you are tested, you will be mature. That's your good. You will be mature, lacking nothing. After what? The trials and the tribulations that work to refine your faith. Hey, it's going to work for my good. When you go through the means and the grace of making it work for your good, that's when you are grumbling. That's when you lose your faith, you lose your head, you lose your trust in God. And yet, it's working for you? Good. What is our ultimate good? To conform to the likeness of Jesus Christ. For us to receive the commendation of total surrender and obedience. You are my son whom I love in whom I am well pleased. Are you still there, sir? So now, the fear of the will of God has some realities that I deal with, that you deal with. Let's look at some few of those. Number one, the fear of the will of God basically clarifies its indicative of our lack of trust in God for the future. By implication, 
The fear of the will of God induces in us a desire for plan B against God's perfect plan. Because God says, at least when he called me, I don't know about you. He says, I will give you a future better than you can give yourself. But then I'm sitting and I'm thinking, this is not what I had in mind. And each day, I'm confessing now my sins. I have to deal with the idea that this God's plan is really not working the way it should. By now, at this age, I'm supposed to be doing this. I'm supposed to be this. I'm supposed to be having that. I'm supposed to be driving this. I'm... Is it working for my good? It doesn't seem like it is. But he has never said, I will, I watch over to fulfill your ambitions. He's never given me that promise. And each day, you have to resign. One day you are happy. The church is excited. And, and another day, some person is fighting with their friends in the church because of the money that they, you know, they jiggled around themselves. They didn't invite you. Now that they are fighting, yeah, I don't like this church or this guy. I don't even have a church. Didn't we teach you that many times? When you are angry. Now, I have to carry this thing. Are you following? I'm thinking, Lord, this is not how it's supposed to be. You know, as the church, the people must love you. Who gave you that idea? Who gave you the idea that everyone who comes across you should think of you as the center of their world? There's no verse for that. So now, when I see that the ambition within me does not line up with the outworking of God's purpose, I devise plan B because God's plan is not aligning with mine. Therefore, I am fearful that maybe I may not get married. Maybe I may not have that business. Maybe I may not. Maybe I may not. Maybe I may not. Maybe I, may not. I don't want to die having not done one, two, three. Is it in God's will for you? Are you following? The fear of God's will will put you in a dispensable condition and situation. When you say, in other words, you will move from what God wanted you to be and God will replace you because he shows no favoritism. When you read in 1 Samuel chapter 15, God had called and ordained Saul. You know, Saul was not chosen by, by people co contrary to what you is normally preached. God is the one who gave them Saul. They asked for a king. That was not God's will. But God gave them Saul. Are you there? And when God said, Saul, go and destroy the Amalekites, everything, children and animals. What did Saul do? The fear of doing God's will made him take shortcuts. But 
He felt the need, the need. He had the audacity to look at Samuel and say, I did everything that the Lord said. In other words, the fear of God's will will induce in you partial obedience. And then way justified, but I did it. What happened when God said Moses must send the spies into the land of Canaan? He said it with these words, go and spy the land I have given to them. The sure promise of the land was there. The sure promise, that is why God says, I watch over my word to perform it. But they didn't enter. Why? Because the fear of God's will gave a wrong reflection of who they are in the light of the bigness of what God has for them. So God gives you a big, big, big future. It's scary. It shows you your own inadequacies. And no one wants to operate from their weak foot. You know that? If they say, kick a penalty and you are right-footed, you would not dare try it with your left. But God wants to use our weaknesses in the light of the bigness of his will for our lives. And we feel like, no, 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 no. The land is good. The promise is good. But there are giants there. And even in, with my best foot, I'm unable to do it. And then God is amazing. He watches over his weight. He's not going to beg us. He's going to replace us. He says, no problem. Your fear of the will of God will make you stray around 40 years in the wilderness. You'll stay longer in the wilderness for the fear you have for God's will because you can't trust him. And they went around. God is amazing. When he spoke to Moses, he said, take them out of Egypt into Canaan, right? When their fear of his will paralyzed them. You know what God did? He watched over his word. He said, all of you will die, but my word to bring you into Canaan will not fail. I'll take your children. He says, Saul, your fear of my will will induce in you the fear of people and the fear of circumstances and the fear of embarrassment. Have you ever felt God moving you to pray for someone in a very awkward situation? Sometimes in a taxi, sometimes at work, sometimes for a condition that you think, hey, Mudim, I have never even trusted you for my own headache. And here you are asking me to pray for a person with cancer. For a person 
who was born paralyzed. God, I know, I know, I know you can do these things. I know you've done them. But let's just be fair. You've never done it with me. You've never been there. Surely you have been, unless you are not born again. If you are a child of God, you have been in a situation where God gives you a word during worship. He says, tell the church. You're like, yo. God says, do not fear them. Speak what I say you must speak. And then you just quench the spirit of God. And you don't do it. And suddenly you are filled with guilt. The fear of the will of God will paralyze you in the face of your enemies. The fear of the will of God will take away the victory you already possess and give it to your enemies. Some of us here, there are things that you are now watching other people walking in, the things that God put in your heart first. Some of us, you are trapped in an uncomfortable, unpleasant situation. Purely because you feared to take a decisive step what I call a final decision to obey. And all fears of God's will emanate from self-idolatry. We love ourselves too much to love God enough to obey him. Because if I don't love myself enough, if I have denied myself, I cannot be embarrassed. That's why other people talk about being fools for Jesus. Being radical, doing things that you know that, hey, this thing, but I trust him who says. I trust him who holds my future in his hand. I trust him, he who says, do not fear them. They will fight against you. He doesn't hide it. I'm just amazed at how God, having engineered us for such high performance and endurance, he, he goes on to enlist situations that we will go through. And then after every one of them, he says, you will overcome. Think about it. God has prepared you for rejection. The Bible says, even though my father and mother reject me, yet the Lord. Eh? He has prepared you for stuff like that. He has prepared you for betrayal. God has prepared you for opposition. He has prepared you for people who look down on you. Can anything good come out of Bethlehem? When you go through fire, when you go through water, 
though the mountains be shaken. Hey, Vazalan, I'm saying to us this morning, there is a level of discipleship, of believing in God that we need to put a gear into now. Unless you move to that level, I don't know what hope we can give you. Because Jesus has prepared us for the end times. He told us, if they hated me, what about you? He says, there's going to come a time when people kill you. They will think they are doing God's service. I don't know where you stand right now, ne? but here's where I stand, and here's where I hope we can stand as a church. We cannot live in a time of crisis and be part of the crisis. Are you there? Someone here must get to a place where they are fed up and say, no, no, no. I am from above. I can't fear what these people fear. The current conditions have given all of us. They have squeezed out the contents of our hearts. The current conditions have showed us what we fear. The things we are prepared for and the things we are not prepared for. The current conditions have made other people live happily in their state of ungodliness and wickedness. The current condition has created an environment where a person who does not want to win souls can happily sit at home now. Because nobody's going to say, go into the world and make disciples. No, you say, no, 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 no. You understand there's COVID. Go and love your neighbors you love. Hey, no, 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 no. You understand the COVID restrictions. Go and love the needy. Ah, you see, <laughs> there are NGOs to do that. The devil has given us an excuse. God has given us an opportunity. God is giving us a mandate an authority, and an opportunity, and we are using none. Shall we stand up? It was not a good day to come to church today. <laughs> Imagine, last week was so nice, and then we were like, hey, it's going to be nice today again. I'm good, and then... You know, even this sermon is working for our good. I can never esteem comfort if they take, a, they take me away from the best version of who I should be when I stand before God. Comforts are not good enough if God is going to look at you and say, how I wish my child 
you just had a little bit of conviction and commitment. So this morning I want to say as we pray, don't allow ambition, don't allow aspirations, don't allow fears to take you further from your call and purpose in God. Are you there? Go home. We asked you last week, what are you prepared for the most? What are you preparing for the most? Can I repeat what I told you many times? Death is closer than your aspirations and your pursuits. Everybody who died still had plans for next year, for the next hour. But death proved much closer than the idea that I want to go to a restaurant. You may not get there. Don't allow those aspirations of the next hour make your heart cold towards God. How are we there? So let's just take a moment and pray. Next week, for those who are already aware as part of the leadership, we'll be releasing the Chawanis. The Chawanis are relocating to Mpumalanga and yeah it's gonna be quite a a morning so let's pray into that even that God will work with them through the logistics of relocation and his favor goes before them amen and most importantly pray for yourself Lord may my heart not grow cold if it is already cold Ask yourself, what if in this hour I could make right with God and I, have, I don't have to regret what comes next? Are you there? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are in this hour, Lord, in this moment. Because of your grace and your mercy. Many had dreamed to see this hour. But they didn't. Even in this hour, many are losing their lives as we speak. And this is despite having heard from you. That come unto me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn from me, for I'm meek and lowly. Take my yoke upon you. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You'll find rest for your soul. This is despite have you having said, Come, let us reason together. Even though your sins may be red like crimson, they'll be white as snow. Yet we still find it in our hearts to doubt your will, Lord. We choose an imperfect, fallen will from deceived hearts. Instead of a perfect will from a perfect God. For as for God, His ways 
are perfect. His statutes bring life. With God we can scale a wall. We can face an arm. For he stoops down to make us great. God perfects all that pertains to our lives. And even so, God perfects us more to be like his son, Jesus Christ. Father, may you turn our hearts to know that there is but one agency. And that is to be found like Jesus when he comes. To be found ready. To be found with our lamps filled with the oil, Lord. There is but one agency, Jesus. When I see you face to face, I want to be ready. There is nothing more urgent in this world. For even what seems urgent is too late in the light of death. A man can but only receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And having received him, walk in him, rooted and established in him. That is but the only agent thing in this world. Because even if they find the cure, even if they can heal all diseases, they still cannot stop the unquenchable fires of hell. So Father, help our hearts to know There is one thing and one thing alone. To come to Jesus. To walk in step with the Holy Spirit. And for this, we pray, Lord. We pray that you order the steps of the Chawanis, Lord. Over this remaining week, Lord. That your favor goes before them, Lord. That every logistic be in place, Lord. I just want us to pray for the Marshalles. Mr. Marshall has lost his younger sister this morning. That's why he's not here. Let's pray for comfort and strength for the family. Our Father, we thank you. You know the pain that the family is going through. At the same time, you are the father of all comfort. There are are no comforting words that can be given to them that will heal the depth of their pain and their sorrows in their hearts. But when you, Holy Spirit, move in their hearts and applies the healing balm healing will come therefore we lift them up to the throne of grace for comfort for strength in Jesus name